Hey everyone, Kirik here with a quick editor's note before we begin. This episode was recorded during the pandemic lockdown, so we had to do it over Zoom. A couple of glitches happened, but you know what? The great David Lee Roth was kind enough to help us out. So if you hear Dave, he sounds kind of like this. That's DLR just giving us a helping hand. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. This is the Epic New Podcast. Two idiots and a list. Where you're going to get two idiots and a list. And now, coming to you live from Circle Avenue Studios, your hosts, Nick Vasolo and Kirik McMillan. Hello again and welcome to another episode of Two Idiots and a List. And yes, 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 you are going to get just that, two idiots and a list. Sometimes even a third idiot. I am here today, as always, with my co-host, Nick Vasolo. Thank you, Carrick. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This time around, you are going to get a, a third, a bonus idiot. Um, because today, we're going dinosaur hunting. We're going after the big game. We're going to look at the, uh, the, the music and the career and the talents of the band Led Zeppelin. Along us with the ride today is uh, my brother and Kirk's longtime friend, uh, Mike. He is, I think, the guy that introduced me to Led Zeppelin, um, but there's a whole story behind that. Mike, why don't you say hello to everybody? How dare you two? Three idiots? How about just two idiots and a knowledgeable gentleman? How about that? A well-hung knowledgeable gentleman. Uh, yes, a, a, a well-hung gentleman. How did you get into Led Zeppelin? Exactly, Kerry, because I want to. I want to see if my memory uh, recollects with yours. Okay, so Nick, you'll remember. Maybe you will remember this. My dad um, used to have uh, one of the seventies hi fi's downstairs, and he would always have us. Um, he'd say, "Hey, pick a pick an album or pick a song," and um, he would play it. And forever, it was beggar's banquet for me i love the inside of the cover and of course you know it's got sympathy for the devil so i would always give him beggar's banquet to play and then one day led zeppelin 4 showed up i didn't know what it was i didn't know who they were i was probably maybe five or six but i just saw a song that sounded interesting black dog because at the time we had a black dog (laughs) (laughs) so i said hey let's try this one you know and it was kind of like, wow, from there. That was the first album that your dad bought was Zeppelin Four. Yeah. He had a huge record collection, right? And and so while I was, you know, we were busy also digging through like his George Carlin albums and Bob Newhart and his all of his comedy albums. But like I don't think we ever picked up on Led Zeppelin Fours because the album cover is just so weird looking. It it just you know, a guy with a bit you know, harvesting sticks. Who who needs that? Yeah, it was strange. And and Beggar's Banquet, I, I loved that. My dad was a, a Rolling Stones fan, so he had all the Stones stuff, and we would listen to that. The Stones and the Eagles, those were the two bands. that. And th- one day this album showed up, and I looked at it, and I went, oh, Black Dog, that's, hey, let's listen to that. So that's, that's where it started for me. As, as you guys probably did, I, I kind of did my due diligence on the research here. Eight albums, eight studio albums in only 10 years. A, a meteoric career, really, when you look at like the bands that were they're still around. Like the Rolling Stones are still around. That blew me away, too. I was just yeah. really surprised that they only had eight studio albums. And, and, and they had, like it, I think about, what, what is it, 92 songs total recorded and put on those albums. And I'll be goddamned if I didn't listen to every one of them. I'm like, I know every one of these songs. It's probably about... 
four or five that I've never really heard before. But everybody, everyone else, I'm like, I know this song. I know everything. You know, I know this, the words to it. I know the riffs to it. I'm like, God damn, I must have heard this shit a lot. Considering the fingerprint that Led Zeppelin left on the music industry and the music world and the influence on other artists, it's astonishing that they did that with such a small catalog. Yeah, because like I couldn't go through ACDC's whole catalog and say for every song on every album, like, oh, I know that. I remember this. I, I did that with Led Zeppelin. Every single album, every single song, I'm like, oh, shit, man. <laughs> it, it was, it's astonishing. It was a band where you actually listened to the album in order, like first side, second side, and you didn't really skip anything. That was their desire in, in producing those albums was that it was an album listening experience. Well, we got a lot of work to uh, to do here today. We got a lot of material to cover. Why don't we jump on in? Mike, you are our guest of honor, so we'll let you start off with your honorable mention. So here's my honorable mention. and I, So let me preface this by saying that most of the stuff that um, Robert Plant wrote was about getting laid, you know, looking at chicks, wanting to get his lemon squeezed. Yeah, cock rock. Yeah, a lot of uh, that cock rock. And then also it was like he was a J.R.R. Tolkien fan, so it was about hobbits and tweezels and whatever the fuck you call them. And it was mystical kind of stuff, which is kind of strange. This is the only song that I can think of, and I'm sure there's another one, but this is the only song that was actually about Robert Plant and his real life and his real feelings. I didn't put it in my top five, but I think it's one of their best songs, and it's All of My Love. And it was about his son's untimely death when he was uh, five years old, I believe, five or six years old. Yeah. A stomach virus. God damn. Yeah. And it really brought the band kind of to an end. I mean, John Bonham's death, I think like a year or two later, really ends it. But you could tell the steam is out of their sails. Everything seems to point towards Bonham's death ending this band. What are your guys' thoughts on them? It seemed like there was a lot of conflict between them. Were they headed down this path anyhow? You know, was this thing kind of done? Yeah, I think so. Jimmy Page and Bonham are are alcoholics and drug addicts, and they're fading more away. Um, John Paul Jones has always been kind of a straight-laced guy, so he was pulling back. Robert Plant was not a partier guy either. And then his son dies. So I think that it was just all coming to an end by then anyway. Plus, they had spent almost a decade on the road. That can't be easy. Oh, yeah. Playing 300 gigs a night. Um, that's got you got to be weary after that. I mean, yeah. Well, you you, you made a, an excellent point. Like the the song "All of My Love." I mean, it is. It's like it's like this. The, the song is a great song, but it is like the song is just like you can tell. Like the engine is running out of gas. It's like he's that that. I think that the death of of Led Zeppelin was you know it really was kind of augmented by you know the passing of his son um and as you know and and that was kind of like he was done yeah i'm done with all of this and just a year before he had had an accident with his family a car accident where he broke his leg or something really bad and his wife was hurt and, and it's just all this stuff kind of piled together over three or four years and of course losing you know losing a baby child like that is and you can hear it in his voice as he's singing He's yeah. heartbroken over it, oh, and yeah. this is sure. this is, I think, the only song where you hear that, you know, that kind of energy in it. Yeah, you know, where he's singing this love song to his child, and you know, it's it's a really heartbreaking song, and it's profound to listen to when you understand the the subtext behind it. So that's that's my honorable mention. It, cool. it, it could have made my top five. I just think it's a great song for a lot of other reasons than just the musicianship that goes into it. Sure. 
Sure. What do you got, Keurig, for your honorable mention? All right, I went uh, I went a little bit off the, the beaten trail myself. You know, we're talking about Page and, and Jones, and Page was the primary songwriter for the first, oh, what, three albums, four albums, maybe even five? Yeah. And then they start to vary into to Jones doing some of the work. I liked what they did here. Mine is Carousel Ambra. I love that song. Super heavy keyboards to start. Yeah, it's just, it's different. I mean, it's it's very different from the rest of everything that they had done before that. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's like a 10 plus minute song, so it's a little lengthy, but it would have been awesome to hear live. Kicks into that kind of psychedelic groove, and then it goes into that sort of weird 80s like pop synth sound which really predated what everybody else started doing in the 80s. Like, they kind of kicked off that sound. Uh, you know, I like the I like how they did that, and I like the fact that it predates what everybody else ended up doing, you know, the Cars and Devo. Yeah, like you mentioned before, that's John Paul Jones, mm-hmm. and he has the space to do that because Paige is so, that you know, the other creative force musically is out of it. Yeah, he's, he's so it. fucked up, he, he's not contributing anymore. Yeah, I think they had all checked out. Again, Robert Plant's got all these huge issues going on outside of the, right. the, the work thing, and then Bottom's a heroin addict and alcoholic, and then Jimmy Page is checked out. So yeah, he really did take the reins, and it shows you what a powerful band it was, because you got a genius sitting back there playing bass, <laughs> right? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, my honorable mention goes back. It's got a little, little, little bit of a story to it, but I, I was trying to like piece together. It's like, why is it that I know all of these songs? Like, and I never claim to be like a massive Led Zeppelin fans, but um, because you know my musical tastes kind of were attached along to to Mike's because I was only two years younger than him, but he's the one who like started buying his albums first. And I didn't have any money, and I'd have to sit there and listen to Led Zeppelin one and two and three and four day after day after day in one summer, and it was Led Zeppelin four all the time and I got so fucking sick of it and I used and I started to make up lyrics in my head because I couldn't fucking get like understand what this guy was talking to I was only 12 or 11 at the time but you know listening back to it and listening you know, obviously hearing this song millions of times later Misty Mountain Hop One of those songs, to me, it brings me back to like that moment in time, and I was like, "Oh, that's you know, that was actually a, a, a another another <laughs> great a song." Yeah, another great song that you could definitely put in a top five. It, it was kind of an anti-hippie song, right. but a hippie song all the same. But listening back to it now, it's like the thing that's most that the, the reason why the song is so goddamn good is, and and this is a common theme through just about every one of their songs. Bonham is such a different drummer than anybody else. He's got little like triple kicks with his bass drum in that song that just kind of it's like a it's like a musical hiccup but it's perfect every single time and it it makes the listener pay attention just a little bit extra what he does with his drum kit is really he is he's one of those once in a generation type of drummers he's really like people say Neil Peart is like the greatest drummer of all time he's there John Bonham is a little different he's just a little different Mike what do you got for your number 5 so the song remains the same as my number five uh, favorite song.
I just love it. I think it's great. And again, it's kind of that ode to California again. The, you know, the California sunshine that he sings about, and just you know, the the chant that they go around the world and wherever they play, that song is always you know. That what they're doing is always the same. It's just great. Great tune. It's a great tune. Drags me in every time. All right, Nick, what you got? Uh, another one, I think there's a theme that runs through mine, but uh, another one where it just kicks off with uh, just Bonham's different sound. And the way they got the sound for this song is um, they had him in a stairwell. I know where you're going. <laughs> and they, they recorded... In Headley they Grange. They recorded his echoing... Yeah, in, in Headley Grange they had him there. And the, the opening drum um, kicks to uh, when the levee breaks... And then, and then Paige comes in with this very weird-sounding uh, effect on his guitar. It's, and it's really awesome. And the really cool thing is when the harmonica comes in, that yeah. that over that overdrived um, mm-hmm. that overdrived crunchy harmonica comes in. It's great too. They put some great harp in a few of their songs, and it's just a perfect addition on it too. And was that played by a studio, like a studio musician, or was it one of those guys that that was blowing the harp? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure, but that's something that stands out, obviously. It's in a few of their songs. They really like that traditional Delta blues sound. So that brings me to another another thought here. When you look at the history of Zeppelin and how you know people think about them, more than one position online puts them as a heavy metal band. Now, whenever I f- think of Led Zeppelin, I always think of blues. I don't think mm-hmm. of of heavy metal. Yeah, you can argue it's hard, and they've got a lot of... You can make some comparisons to other bands that are considered heavy metal, but I never thought of them as metal. And maybe that's just my lack of respect for metal bands, air quotes there. Yeah. Yeah, because that has a different connotation. Yeah, I've always had them in the blues category, which kind of like, I mean, we were going to get here eventually, so we might as well get here now. Like, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, those guys started out as cover bands, and they covered the blues musicians of American artists. Led Zeppelin was the first kind of band to take in the blues and then spit it back out with their own English kind of twist to it. And it just, it's a its a little different, but when you listen to like the Lemon song. Here's where I would push back, and I'm a big Zeppelin fan, but one of the criticisms that, you know, and, and Led Zeppelin was roundly criticized their first four or five albums. And one of the criticisms was that they just said they were a lame version of Cream. <sighs> and Cream really was the first band that kind of took that, that Chicago blues, the Mississippi Delta blues, and turned it into a harder version of it. Yeah, it was a mix of blues and progressive music. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. Like Cream is more bluesy progressive, I guess. I'll give them that. But like Heartbreaker is a definite blues tune, but it's not like Chicago blues, right? It's not the Delta blues. It's no, like, no, 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 no. It's, it's they put their own kind of twist on it. And I think that like I'd, I'd rather give them that than, you know, the others like the Stones and the Beatles. They, they were just cover bands. In the beginning. In the beginning. While we're talking about this, and and this has been a long accusation of these guys to the point at which it's taken them to, to court on a number of occasions. And you can argue that success breeds contempt, and that's why people are going after them. But they've been sued for, I think, 10 or 11 songs by my count. And one of them, the one that's probably the most famous is for the the guitar riff on the intro for Stairway to Heaven. Yeah. Yes. And they were sued by the band Spirit for a song that was called Taurus that was released in 1968. And that introduction, or, or the way that that song opens...
is so close, it's almost identical, it's even in the same key as the opening for Stairway, which was released three years later. sued for Lemon Song, Dazed and Confused, Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You, Whole Lot of Love, Bring It On Home. They had a tendency to to cover a song and not give credit for the cover. That happened on a few occasions, one of which was a Joan Baez song who had actually covered somebody else, and it might have been that Memphis Mini. It may have been a different one. I don't remember the detail on it. But the, the fact that they were taking songs that somebody else had written, playing them as covers, and then what they would do is call it traditional, which means they didn't have to, you know, it's like covering happy birthday. You're not going to, you're not going to pay anybody for happy birthday if you use it. And that's what they were doing. And, And it ended up that they had to start changing the credits over the course of time to give these people the credit that they deserved. Well, look, they have their roots in the blues. Um, and obviously the blues is pretty easy to mimic. I mean, it's based on a pentatonic scale, five notes. There's a lot of overlap with everybody who plays it. There's just a lot of overlap. Coincidences are one thing. When you hear the, the Spirit song, and apparently they, that the band Spirit was able to prove that, that Page had like three or four of their albums in his collection. Now, how they did that, I don't know. But they were able to apparently prove that. And, and Zeppelin won the case in court. It went back to appeals. The decision was supposed to happen last year. But the reason they won the case, that Zeppelin won the case in court was due to the fact that the copyright law that was utilized when Spirit submitted their music was based on the sheet music. It wasn't based on the recording. It was like a 1909 uh, law that was used for, for copywriting. So because they didn't necessarily submit the most accurate form of sheet music when they submitted uh, the, the copyright, then Zeppelin isn't guilty because the, the music that Taurus submit or that spirit submitted for the song Taurus didn't match the song apparently. I, I know what you're saying about you know, people lifting shit from everybody, but you know what? Music is derivative. It's all derivative. They're all stealing from one another. They all. It's impossible not to hear shit and not to be influenced by it. They're all building on what came before them. We don't know who the fuck that band is. We know Led Zeppelin is one of the greatest bands of all time. There is a difference. They could have you know put out you know that. That fucking band could have put out their their shitty Stairway to Heaven sound-alike song, and it never went anywhere. It never went anywhere. Let Zeppelin made it go somewhere. No, the only reason you know about them is because Zeppelin ripped them off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Give them their songwriting credit if you want, but Stairway to Heaven was definitely something they took to a different place. I completely agree with that. Fuck them. Legitimate complaint, but just a different sound altogether. All right, so that brings us to my number five. Mine is off of Houses of the Holy... And it is the ocean. I wrestled with that one, too. I love the ocean. I'm not going to quibble on anything from Houses of the Holy, my favorite album. I like this song for a ton of reasons. And and you can hear in, in this song these, these clipped guitar riffs, which are very characteristic of what Page writes. Uh, and and he does that in a lot of his songs. It's what makes him, you know, that that's his sort of fingerprint on, on guitar and on writing. And I like it. I, I like it very much. I dig the fact that they kind of cut it into like a 50s doo-wop yeah. section towards towards the middle. And I'm not a big doo-wop guy, but the, the fact that they could cut from the way the song started and drop into that and then come back. There's no song that they didn't do, right? They did folk. They did 
Viking songs. They did finger-picking bluegrass. They did blues, medieval bards. They did 12-string ballads. They did twelve. They did two 12-string ballads on one fucking album. The only kind of song they didn't do was like a fucking sea shanty. <laughs> and then, of course, it has one of my favorite vocal drops from Plant. The, uh, oh, so good. Yeah. <laughs> What you got for number four, Mike? All right, number four, and I, I, I think this is one of their all-time great, you, you know, it's, it's one of their epic songs, Achilles' Last Stand. I love that the way it begins with that kind of really dreamy guitar. It's just a it's just a really cool song, and it and I think it goes like twelve minutes. And again, it's another starting song for the Presence album. It's the first cut on that album. So you talk about Houses of Holy. I really like Presence. I think Presence has some incredible tunes on it. Achilles' Last Stand is a, is a great tune, and Presence is a great album. That was the album they couldn't tour because of Plant's injury from this car accident. So they never they never toured Presence. And so that's my number four has is off of Presence 2, The Hots for Nowhere. Oh, you pinched mine. <laughs> That's also my number four. No shit. Hots for Nowhere. Yeah. Great tune. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that tune. That 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 lilting kind of la-da-la-da-la-da-la-la, yeah. I mean, it's great. Yeah. And again, you've got you've got Bonham's you know missed up syncopation. It's just I think that's the way, the reason why I like that song so much because he like drives such a weird offbeat. It's really great. And the solo that Jimmy played is, plays is a really strange solo, but it works. It's 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 very cool. Again, you've got those clipped riffs in that song. You know that sort of characteristic page writing. Uh, that song, I, I was looking into what the what the meaning of that was because I thought it was I thought it was you know uh, it's an odd tune obvious or odd title hot's on for nowhere, and then it's you know the the the, the lyrics were just kind of different so I, I I nosed around a bit and some of the interpretations are he wrote this or our plant wrote the lyrics about this as a way of complaining about the increased partying from Page and Bonham <laughs> and. You know, if you look at some of the lines, it uh, there's references to a snowman melting. Friends that don't give a fuck all. Right. And, and when I learned how my time had been wasted, a tear fell as I turned away. <laughs> That's deep shit. All right. Well, Nick, you, you, you and I had the same number four. Uh, so that brings us to number three. Mike, what you got for number three? So number three is off of physical graffiti. It's trampled underfoot. Oh, I love that tune. I love this tune. It's it's not one that's gonna, probably going to make anybody's top five, but for me, it's it's again, it's kind of like a almost a disco influence with the synth that starts the that kicks the song off. It's a tr- and it's a traditional like one of Robert Plant's cock rock songs, you know. 
the way that they have the phaser come in and out on some of the guitar licks and stuff like that. It's just a really cool song. I, I, I dig it. All right, that opens up another question for that I've got. Zeppelin is also sort of credited with starting not only album-oriented rock, where you're, you're starting the album and listening to the whole thing, but they were also kind of credited with the, the birth of arena rock. And when you think about the, the images of this band as they were younger, you know, it was the super tight jeans, it was the, the open shirts, and it was basically the cucumber stuffed into the pants look. That was no cucumber. Were these guys the pioneers of this, or did Mick Jagger and the Stones start this? <laughs> I think this goes all the way back to their biggest influences, and I think they all mentioned this, was Elvis Presley. And the way Elvis Presley would swing his hips and his groin. The Elvis pelvis. The Elvis pelvis. And I think that was their, just the way they grew up watching rock and roll, especially for Robert Plant, was to have his cock out and just, you know, kind of swing it around inside of his pants and have his shirt opened and stuff. And Well, it worked. It did work. It worked, you know. It worked even for guys, you know. It worked for for us, for heterosexual guys. Oh, yeah. It wasn't like, you know, you were turned away by it. No, when you saw Robert Plant singing, you're like, he's the coolest fucking guy ever, man. Yeah. Because when you watch Jimmy Page play play the guitar is like yeah all right and then john paul jones you don't even see him bonham was pretty cool the way he just thundered away but robert plant was pretty fucking cool all right uh mike we've gotten your number three nick what you got for your number three uh what did i remember my number three? Oh, my number three is off of uh led zeppelin two i think it's our first one off of led zeppelin two but it is the softer sounding um thank you My least favorite album, by the way. Let's up one two. Yeah, yeah. That's wild. Good songs. That is Good songs. that's unexpected. But yeah, the thank you. I just I like the lyrics. It's like an eternal love song. I am, I, I kind of gravitate more towards like their you know his more acoustical uh, performances. I really like you know those songs. Well, then you should have loved. Led Zeppelin 3. Yeah, no, Led Zeppelin 3 is, is my favorite album of theirs, by, by far. I actually had Thank You on my short list for most dislike. Oh, really? There's something about it that just rubs me the wrong way, and I, I it's a little whiny, I think. Thank You for me is one of those ones that I could take a pass on. I could just say, yeah, that's one of the times I might skip forward. Yeah. That's, we're going back to Led Zeppelin 2. Um, check this out, man. Christmas of 1969. The number number five album in the country. This is Christmas 1969, so this is five or six months after Woodstock. Was uh, CCRs. Uh, number four was Tom Jones in Vegas. Yeah. Number three was Let It Bleed. Okay. Number two was Abbey Road. Yeah. And number one was Led Zeppelin. II. Wow. Well, yeah. What a time. What a fucking chart that wow. is. That's crazy. It just popped up to number one, and then it kind of it 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 hung around, but it, it hung around in the twenties. But yeah, it was only number one for a little while. Because I mean, look at the competition, though. I mean, you had Abbey Road. Then they come out with you know, Let It Bleed, which is like the, the next year, and that was their, that was it. Or, sorry, Let It Let It Let It Bleed for the Stones. But then you had the Beatles release their last Let It Be album, and then Sticky Fingers comes out right on top of that, and it's like, and then Led Zeppelin Four. See, that's what I think. Like Led Zeppelin Four is like their breakout is because those guys were, you know, the Beatles were done. Sticky Fingers had just come out, and you won't see another, you know, like, Exile on Main Street comes out, you know, a couple of years later. Uh, but Led Zeppelin Four has time to breathe there, and there's really nobody else in the picture. When we talked about Prince, we brought up the fact that Purple Rain is a perfect album. And as I'm looking at the catalog for Zeppelin preparing for this, and I, I listened to all eight of their albums all the way through, yeah. I, I started to, to think about that same aspect. Are any of these albums perfect? Yes. And and it almost started to be like I had to get picky to say it wasn't. Like I, I, as I as I think about Zeppelin two, 
right? They they put a drum solo in the middle of Moby Dick. Now, who the fuck puts a drum solo in a in a studio album? <laughs> so I had to discount that. Yeah, that's the frustrating part about Led Zeppelin songs. Is like they're always like three or four minutes longer than they really should be. Like you get these crazy riffs and great drums, and then they're fucking around in the middle there. And I just, it's, I for me, I don't have the stamina for that shit. <laughs> but going back to your like, is there a perfect album in their catalog? Like Led Zeppelin Four doesn't have a title. You know, just Led Zeppelin Four. It's ruins. It's symbols. Whatever the fuck. It should have been named Epic because that fucking album, eight songs, forty eight minutes. Blow your fucking mind, right? Black Dog, Rock and Roll, Stairway, Battle of Evermore, great right. songs, right? Four Sticks, Levy. I mean, it is a perfect album in my my view. Could be the best album, like just song to song, that's ever been recorded because there are no skips on that album. No. I yeah. mean, going to California. You know, if if I didn't want to be challenging with this exercise, I probably would have picked four songs off of this. You could have. Black Dog is a great fucking tune. It's a scathing riff and then he just chops to hell that fucking solo i mean it's just a great song rock and roll is a great whimsical tune battle of evermore so the the woman that plant does the duet with which is kind of oddly off key in parts if you really listen to it closely The woman that he did this with, her name was Sandy Denny. Now, this was a tragic figure. She was a manic depressive alcoholic who got into the habit of throwing herself down flights of stairs in order to get attention. Dozers. Eventually, she died at 31 from blood force trauma to the head after being found at the base of some stairs. It's like she started doing it at home alone. Wow. She did it one too many times. Crazy, right? Crazy story. I mean, it's just a great album from start to finish. 48 minutes. That's it. That's all you need. And three of those fucking songs are over seven minutes long. Yeah. So that brings us to my number three, which is off of Zeppelin IV. And to me, this was a sound or a song that always sort of uh, encompassed what I thought of as classic Led Zeppelin. And it was Black Dog. Hey, hey, mama said the way you move gonna make you sweat, gonna make you groove. Not Jimmy Page's riff. No, it was John Paul Jones's riff. You're right. It's John Paul Jones's riff. It was influenced by Fleetwood Mac's Oh Well. That's right. And if you listen to Oh Well, it's it's kind of similar. I mean, it's not. There's by no means uh, any real Frauds. tie. Like, yeah, it's not. It's not bad. They they, they were fraudulent in, in eleven other songs. This one, I feel like they just kind of got the influence from. <laughs> that really rubs from. your rhubarb, doesn't it? <laughs> and. And here's something interesting, too. They had recorded this whole album at a place called Headley Grange. They were not the first ones to do that. The first ones to do that, apparently, to lore, was uh, Fleetwood Mac. So maybe they had, Fleetwood Mac had left behind a tape with uh, one of these riffs on it, and uh, Zeppelin picked it up. Could be. Mm. And actually, they named it after a dog that was running around Headley Grange. That's where the name of the song comes from. All right, that brings us, Mike, to our next segment. What tour do you want to see Zeppelin on, and what two bands do you want to see play with them? Well, you know, as I've said, Led Zeppelin Live is probably not a great ticket, <laughs> um, even though I'm a huge fan. I, I've, I've heard some of their live stuff, and I'm just not a huge fan of it. I, I think it's it sounds sloppy and kind of like bar bandish. Um, but if I had to pick them to go... I mean, as long as I'm having a truly miserable night, mm. I guess I would pick Rush. There you go. A little jab at you. <laughs> 
No, no, I would not pick Rush. I would pick somebody good. <laughs> God, I I don't know who I would pick, honestly. I, well, while you think about it, like I, I have my bill. My bill is from the uh, the, the 69 chart. I'm going to open up with... Uh, with the, the Beatles coming on stage to warm up the crowd. Got to be a joker, he just do what he please. Oh, so you're just going to cherry pick the best bands. Yeah, it's like a fantasy football team. You pick your favorite. Yeah, and then I, I put Zeppelin in the middle, a little Zeppi sandwich with the Stones coming up to close it out. And uh, maybe stab a couple of patrons in the front row, you know, just for good oh, old times' sake. Who is it? The uh, the Hell's Angels were their were their security crew. And the '60s, the right way. Okay, so if I were if I were gonna have if I were gonna have a band play with them, it would be two bands. I would have the Police. And the Clash. I think they kind of started that punk rock thing, but I'll move on. All right. Okay. I've got, uh, as an opener, I've got a little Bon Scott ACDC. Oh, nice. I like it. I'm in the middle with uh, with Hendrix. And uh, I want to see the presence tour because they never they never toured it. Okay. All right. So. Michael, what is your number two? My number two is um, Good Times, Bad Times. It's a fucking great song, and it begins their career. It's the first thing they laid down, probably. Um, it's the first song off of Led Zeppelin One, and it's a great beginning. You know that bow now, and then you hear the drums, and then it just goes into this great riff. And the solo, he plays two solos. They're similar two solos, and they are just—they are great. I mean, they're fabulous yep. solos. And here's what's great about the song. Two minutes, 40 seconds. In and out. You're in, you're out. Bonham's triple bass coming back. The whole fucking package. And you're right. This is the very first song that you're hearing from Led Zeppelin, the band. And you're like, oh shit, we're in for something here. They're announcing themselves to the, you know, to the, to the rock world saying, hey, motherfuckers, we're here. And listen to this. And I think it's the beginning, kind of like that punk rock stripped down. The Stones and the, the, the Beatles, you know, still at the height of their powers, right? And then Led Zeppelin is also from the same country, and they come out, and they were roundly kind of dismissed as like, yeah, they're not that great, but, you know, Led Zeppelin. We, Rip right, off we, some we screen. Know, right, we, we knew that, you know, that's where their the title, that their their band's name comes from, because the Who dissed them, you know, Keith Moon, you know, in, in between, you know, choking on his own vomit decided that he was going to take a shit talk on on zeppelin right um, right but like they never fucking gave a shit like 
you know, you could hear like the stones of the Beatles would like go at it. Like they don't, they didn't like each other. And that was like all public. But Led Zeppelin's just like, whatever, we're going on the road. We're going to fucking play. That was the first song, the first single they released, Good Times, Bad Times. And it was huge. It was a huge hit. And it just kicked, it kicked everything off for them. Yeah. Just kicked everything off for them. It was a great, great, great fucking tune. Yeah, great song. It appears in a really good movie. If you've seen if you've seen The Fighter, they get into a fight with the cops. Really good movie. Check it out. And they're playing Good Times, Bad Times as they're, as they're brawling with the cops in the street. It's rare because Led Zeppelin, like, they don't like their uh, their music being in movies. It's, it's rare. Yeah, they only sell it to Cadillac. Well, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but, like, Cameron Crowe, um, he goes through a story when he, uh, he wanted to use, um, you know, one of their songs for almost famous and he's like he had to meet with like page and plant and separately and they're like okay well tell us about the scene tell us why you're using it tell us this and that and they're like okay well yeah we'll let you use the song which is interesting because they didn't seem to have a problem giving it to fast times of ridgemont high cashmere yeah oh yeah but he's riding in his uh yeah it's my sister's car my number two is off of Zeppelin 2, and it is What Is and What Should Never Be. And if I say to you tomorrow Take my hand, child, come with me It's to a castle I will take you Where what's to be, they say, will be you talk about the brilliance of John Paul Jones. Listen to the bass line that he lays down in this thing. It's just perfect. It just it it's nimble. It kind of pops around while you got plants vocals that have an almost like flanger effect on them. It's it goes from slow and light to fast and heavy, and it's almost an imperceptible imperceptible tempo change but it does get slightly faster when they get heavier and you know you get these this page solo with with Jones noodling behind him and then the solo gets heavier and to have the guitar solo mimic the song structure of light to heavy I just thought it was brilliant I, I think this is a really cool talk cool song and and you know you get this breakdown in the middle followed by a really solid gong hit. it's cool Right, so props for the gong, um, <laughs> which Bonzo had behind him at every concert. And when he was done with the Moby Dick thing, he'd slammed the, you know, the big gong behind him yeah, a bunch of he times. He just headbanged it, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or he just fell into it. <laughs> this fucking guy. All right, so let's let's get into it before, All right, go ahead. before we get to our number ones. Bonham's death. This motherfucker gets picked up in the morning to go to the studio to record. They stop over for breakfast. He has, did you guys read this? I did. Four. It's obscene. Four quadruple vodkas. Now, for those of it you at home. 18 who don't ounces, know, I think. Yeah. For he, 16 to 24 <laughs> ounces. For those of you at home, can't count. That's a half a gallon to three quarters of a gallon of vodka for fucking. For breakfast. Breakfast. Yes, for breakfast. He continued to drink in the studio. It's not until after midnight where they put him to bed, um, which is where, you know, he met his untimely demise. Which is weird because of all the things, like, I vividly remember the day that John Bonham died. I didn't know who the fuck John Bonham was. I was in the third grade, and for some reason, he had, like, he had died the night before. Or some kid on the playground said, yeah, did you hear Led Zeppelin died? And we're like, who the fuck? Led Zeppelin died? I knew who Led Zeppelin was, but I didn't know who the fuck they were. And he said, right. yeah, they died. Um, but later on, like, that is the only lesson of caution that we took within us, with us to our formative years. We, you know, when we started drinking really heavily in, in our high school and college years, like, the only fucking thing that we ever took care of was, like, hey, put him on his side. You don't want to <laughs> fucking true. have another bottom, man. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, he died officially of pulmonary aspiration. Ugh, gross. 
pulmonary aspiration. It's the same thing that took Moon. 40 shots of alcohol. I don't know how you hold that down. Clapton was a heroin addict, and when he tried to get off of heroin, he did it by using alcohol. Great plan. And he would drink a fifth of vodka a day. The same thing happened with, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name, the bass player from Guns N' Roses. That fucking guy was drinking 10 bottles of red wine a day. Duff McKagan. Duff McKagan. Yeah, Yeah. until his spleen exploded, which I can't understand how that doesn't happen after one night of 10 bottles of of red wine. That that sucks so much acid. (laughs) It just, But Moon. Heavy on the tannins. Moon did the same thing, right? Yeah. Moon died the same way. He aspirated. Yeah. He, he choked on his own barf. So did Jimi Hendrix. That's correct. And Moon was even more known for his fucked up on stage aspects. In fact, at one point, he passed out in the moon, passed out in the middle of a concert that the roadies ran on, like threw cold water in his face and, and kind of tried to revive him. And he started playing again. And 10 minutes later, he passed out again. They couldn't get him awake. And finally, the band asked the audience, hey, is anybody out there know how to play drums? And some guy like started waving his arms and said, uh, I do. And I know all of your songs. And that dude got to jump up on stage and finish out the night with The Who, which is kind of a cool story. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this the fact that, that he died from that is, that's that's an epic, awful way to go. Yeah. It is, and he was only he was only thirty two years old, which is yeah. pretty young, yeah. pretty young man. And he's elder compared to the twenty seven club. Yeah. All right, let's get on to it. What is the number one song that you have for your favorite band? Let's. You know what? We're going to do Mike. You're going to do you last. Okay. Uh, Carrick, why don't you give us your number one song? You know, this isn't going to be a great big surprise. It's a super well known song, but I love Cashmere. Times at Ridgemont High soundtrack aside, this is an epic song. Everything in this song is big. And this is another one where Bonham is a controlled gorilla behind the kit. Yeah. And they run parts of his drums through a sort of like a, I don't know if it's a reverb or a flanger or or a phaser or whatever, but it's just got that that cool effect. This is running around in 100-pound shoes kind of song, right? It's just everything is big. This is arena rock and prog rock, like, overdone, and then still keeping that heavy metal edge. It's like everything everything past the 100%. It's not a terribly intricate song either. I mean, the same theme repeats throughout the choruses and the verses, but it really works. I mean, it's got Plant's sort of silky vocals kind of dripping off of it. It's it's a great tune. At the end, when he is kind of chanting and like really belting out, it's it's very haunting to listen to, um, and it shows the power of his voice. It also showcases uh, Page's uh, supreme talent as a producer as well. Like he was really gifted in the studio, um, arranging all these things, putting them all together. John Paul Jones also holds a lot of credit for the arrangement of these pieces too it also shows that uh, robert plant's ability to be the most pretentious lyric writer in the history of the world (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh yeah yeah sitting with elders of a gentle race you know yeah right just one pretentious line after the other you've heard him do it before that's kind of like his thing right everywhere every song he's just smarter than you and he's gonna prove it with every fucking lyric he sings (laughs) This is a great time to transition to another question. Is Robert Plant the best frontman to get on stage? Is he better than anyone else? Better than McCartney? Better than than uh, Jagger? Better than, than David Lee Roth? David Lee Roth was always kind of a goon to me, you know? <laughs> he's, he's kind of a, like a side, not a side show. What was the, what's the show I'm thinking of? Like fluffy dresses in the 20s. The gong show. No, I'm thinking more like a... Vaudeville? 
Yeah, vaudeville. He's a vaudeville act. Yeah. So to me, here are the front men of all time, right? These are the guys that you're picking between. David Bowie, Rod Stewart, Robert Plant. Rod Stewart. Freddie Mercury, right? Those are your front men. You threw Rod Stewart in there. Are you talking, oh. uh, what was it, Faces? Was that his band Faces. before he went solo? It doesn't matter. You yeah. pick any Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart could sing the fucking phone book. I mean, he's <laughs> yeah. just brilliant. Can I take uh, 76-year-old Rod Stewart in Vegas? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, Rod Stewart is another one of those pretentious blonde English guys but the fucking guy can sing, man. I think you named like the greatest frontman of all time. You know, and I'm partial to DLR. I think that he's he's great. You like Freddie, right? I think Freddie Mercury is the greatest of all time. I mean, the guy. Oh, had, I think you know, you've got a great point there. Supersonic range and just a command of the audience. All right, Nick, where are you with your number one? My number one is um, "That's the Way" from uh, Let's Up in Three. Let's Up in Three is my, my favorite of all uh, of their albums. Uh, That's the way is just the better. I like, it's a very simple guitar riff, and, and the way his his, uh, his lyrics come come in, again, his, his pretentious lyrics at times, you know, <laughs> kissing tiny flowers. <laughs> oh, kissing so. tiny flowers. Yeah, no, he's... You know, that's <laughs> just so... Robert Plant is always in his, starring in his own movie. Yeah. <laughs> he's the only character in it. You know, (laughs) him and his cock. Those are the two things. He's always singing to his cock because that's the most important things in his life. And if if that's the way is his song to his penis, then I think it's even a better song, (laughs) including kissing tiny flowers. (laughs) I like the image of him serenading his own dick. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, he did. That's how he was photographed all the time. It was always from his cock and up, right? His face was at the top of the picture, and the cock oh, yeah. was always at the bottom. It's and it the cucumber big, in the pants. Yeah, this big bulging cock, and he must have wore boys' <laughs> pants, right, to get that big cock. And it, everything was about, hey, look, it was like, uh, my name's Robert Plant, and his name is Robert Jr. You know, he was just introducing him and his cock yeah. every time. Give us both a kiss. Which I respect. I think it, it's what makes him Robert Plant. I mean, he's fucking yeah. cool. But, you know, you had to pay homage to the cock whenever you were near him. <laughs> bow down. Yes, bow down to the cock. <laughs> All right, Mike, what you got for number one? So my number one song is When the Levee Breaks. It's just the best song I think they've ever done. I love it. I love the drums. I love the harp. We talked about it earlier. I love the lyrics. I love everything about it. It's just a great fucking song. And it's so bluesy and dirty. It's just a great song. And those lyrics, again, going back to those lyrics, they don't sound like Plant's lyrics. I think that's, it's an old song, right? It is. It is. In fact, they had to give a writing credit. That's that's right. They had to give a writing credit eventually, and it is an older song, um, obviously because arranged differently. If the levee breaks, my cock will fill the hole, right? That's kind of like... There's no levees breaking where Robert Plant lives, because he just runs down with his huge cock. In fact, he doesn't even have to run down. Run down. He can just unfold it from his window, and it'll fill any... It's, it's like Rapunzel. breaking. Yeah, so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your cock. Right. All right, Nick, what do you have for your most hated? That's an easy one for me. I fucking couldn't stand 
down by the seaside. Fucking song. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of Led Zeppelin songs that I fucking can't stand, but that one, holy shit! I, I don't know. It's, it's like it's like nails on a chalkboard. I just can't fucking deal. Uh, uh, fair enough. I mean, it's not one of their greatest songs, but what's yours, Mike? It, this is easy. It's off Led Zeppelin three. It's the it's the worst song they ever produced. Hats off to Roy Hyper, Harper. Yeah, yeah, that one, that one stunk. It's terrible. It's mind-numbing. In fact, when I used to tape it, I used to buy records and I would tape it onto an actual tape, and I would leave that off because I hated that fucking song and I was embarrassed for them. <laughs> Quite frankly, I was embarrassed for them. If I had been their manager in the studio, I'd say, guys, that album is great, except for Hats Off to Roy Hyper. You got to flush that. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. It's not gonna be a popular pick, but um, I can't I can't dive fast enough on the radio button to change it whenever the song comes on, and it's Stairway. Played. There are times when I will skip it as well, because you've heard it so oh, many fucking times. So overplayed. It just, they killed it. They absolutely killed it. And you've got to be in a really specific mood to want to listen to Stairway to Heaven. It's just one of those songs. And the fact that they killed it the way they did on the radio, it just, I can't, I can't stand the song. Kerry, when was the last time you listened to the radio? <laughs> a figurative comment i killed it for myself by listening it to it so many times so i get where you're coming from but that's a great fucking song it's a great song it's an epic song i didn't say it was a bad song i said i didn't like the song and i don't like the song because we were drowned in it i mean you were absolutely steeped in stairway to heaven and again it's a period type song where you've got to be in the right frame of mind to want to listen to it it is and it is the height of robert plant's pretension absolutely right i mean there's a lady who knows all that glitters is gold i mean it's just fucking bullshit but the fucking ending the last three minutes of that song the solo to the end is blistering it's really good the problem is you can't you can't skip to that part without actually skipping to that part. So you're basically saying the front half of this song sucks and I'm going to listen to the back half of the song. Well, you've, you've kind of discredited the, the song. The front half of the song is is trite, okay? It's trite. <laughs> but the back half of it is fucking blistering and I will listen to the back half every time. I tell you as as uh and Mike Mike would know this too. It's like Stairway was probably one of the first songs you learned to play on guitar. And once you learned that opening riff and the the second part and the third part like that's all it is for the next seven fucking minutes, man. Like it's like that is the the repetitiveness, and yeah, I can I can I can go along with it. Like I don't like to listen to Stairway anymore um, because of that. It's like oh my god, how many fucking times does they do this riff over and over? It's like has she built right. the fucking stairway yet? <laughs> and then when the, when you know that the, well, it the, is going all the way to heaven, right? When you know the drums kick in and then the solos about this, that's the payoff. Ah yes, with the coolest four seconds. 
the coolest four seconds. Your favorite four seconds out of, out of Zeppelin. I've got it. I've got it. It's, it's uh, when the rain song breaks down. It's when plant when Paige finally comes in and uh, the, the the vocals break and everything just kind of crashes in on that song at that moment and I think it's really I've always li- really liked it. All right, my best four seconds. I like the uh, the there's a vocal and guitar kind of call and answer at the end of "You Shook Me." And, you know, they did that call and response in a lot of their songs that they had. Yeah. All right, what's your four seconds, Mike? My four seconds are the beginning of Led Zeppelin, the the beginning of Good Times, Bad Times, with that E chord. then the drums right behind it that's to me that's the beginning of led zeppelin it's like the movie is starting this is about to happen and it's going to be really cool so that's that's my best four seconds yeah and that just about does that folks thank you all for listening to such a long podcast about robert plant's penis and his penis's band led zeppelin I think you should name the podcast The Golden Cock from now on. Uh, Mike, thanks for uh, doing all your research and bringing your Thank you, uh, boys. expertise and your passion for the band to our lovely little podcast over here. I had fun. Thanks for listening. Bye.